You're listening to Manx Radio, and I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to the podcast of the Manx Sky at Night with Howard Parkin. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. It's the familiar introduction to the August edition of the Manx Sky at Night. And equally familiar, we welcome into the studio Howard Parkin. Faster my good evening, Howard. Faster my Judith, it's great to be here again. Well, a little bit more darkness in our skies. Incredible how they're pulling in so quickly. You know, it's about two hours extra darkness now than we had at the beginning of August. So it won't be long before we can get our telescopes out about seven o'clock at night and start looking at the wonders of the night sky. But before that, we've still got a bit of summer to enjoy. Hopefully. Let's have an Indian summer, let's hope for it. As usual, Howard, a game of two halves on the programme. We'll start off, shall we, by looking at our Manx skies, telling us what we can look forward to in the weeks to come. And then after our music break, which is entirely my choice and a real little gem that we found for this month. Looking forward to this one. And then we'll talk about what's happening in the world of space. We know that you can give us the, the stories that we really need to be thinking about. Okay, skies in the next few weeks, the Milky Way. Yes, this is probably the best time of the year to watch the Milky Way because the Milky Way rises in the southeast and crosses the sky over to the... Sorry, I got that wrong. It's the southwest to the northeast. It literally goes right across the sky. And funniest thing was, I was talking to someone the other day who said they'd never seen the Milky Way. And I literally went outside and said, there it is, but it's just, it is difficult to spot immediately. You've got to give your eyes. How many times have I said this? I'll know it outside hundreds of times. You've got to give your eyes a chance to get used to the dark. And when we've got no moon, so ideally you do your astronomy when there's a new moon and there's, um, there's no, obviously it's a clear night. And this time of the year, the new moon, I can't remember exactly when the new moon is, but we've got two weeks each side of it, and that's when you should be looking for the Milky Way, which does completely stretch across the sky. I've just double-checked, actually, the new moon is in another week's time. So literally from about 7th or 8th of September onwards, that's the time to look for. And look for this ghostly band across the sky. There's a lovely story I heard years ago at the top of Snaefell where a lady said to me when we were doing our pie-in-the-sky event up there, and she said to me, what a beautiful night, but it's a shame about that cloud. And that cloud was the Milky Way. That's how bright it can be. But you've got to get your eyes used to the dark. Give yourself at least 10 minutes. Some real astronomers will say, give it 15, 20 minutes at least. And if you see a car coming towards you, don't say, oh, look at that nuisance car coming towards me. Turn your head or just close your eyes until the car's gone. Because you kill your night sight and you've got to start again. When you see a bright light coming towards you, your instinct is to look at it. Of course it is. But it is amazing when your eyes get attuned how much you can oh, you'll see. You'll see so much more. And the Milky Way is a classic example. We are known as the Dark Skies Island. We've got all these dark sky sights because we can see the Milky Way. I have seen the Milky Way walking home when I used to work for the museum, walking along Douglas Promenade in the evening with all the lights of Douglas Promenade. Look out to sea, get your eyes used to it, and you can see the Milky Way even from a well-lit street. But it's keeping away from the bright lights. Um, that is the biggest tip I'll give you. Get your eyes dark adapted, as we call it. That and always have a garden chair and a blanket handy. That oh, was yes. the other bit of good advice. Oh, most definitely. We did that for the Persid Meteor Shower a few uh, weeks ago now, and um, that's always a great tip. And um, we'll be recommending the same in December when we get to the Gemini Shower, of course. 
but we have a lot more to talk about before oh, indeed that. Indeed we do. I think some of these constellations and planets, and they have the most romantic names. So one that I think is just lovely, we're going to talk about now, and that's Cassiopeia. Cassiopeia, yeah. It is a lovely name. And Cassiopeia and her, and her husband, Cepheus, sit next to the North Pole Star, the Polaris, the Pole Star, and they slowly circle the heavens each year. And at this time of the year, just as we head towards September, we'll be talking about this more next month, but the plough is sitting on the northern horizon. Um, but directly overhead, there's this distinct W or M shape of Cassiopeia, which is the lady sitting in the chair. And her husband, much fainter stars, but the stars of Cassiopeia, there's five bright stars. Uh, Cepheus, the husband, is much fainter. And this W shape is so pronounceable, so um, pronounced in the sky, it really is unbelievable. And all you've got to do is look almost straight up and you can't miss it. It's either a W or an M. At this particular time of the year, it's more like an M. Uh, six months' time, it'll be a W, because obviously it turns upside down as it rotates around the pole. And, of course, the, the story and the legend of Andromeda and Cassiopeia, her mother who said, uh, my daughter is more beautiful than anything else in the universe, upset the sea nymphs who got, um, I think it was Poseidon, to ravage the land and the story of Perseus, the hero. And all this wonderful mythology and folk story all hinges on the story of a, a vain queen, Cassiopeia, and her daughter Andromeda, the most beautiful princess in the universe. Isn't it important, Howard, that we keep the legend and oh, all of these things going alongside the fact we're learning so much so quickly mm. about our universe, but we need to keep it in balance, you've got to don't keep, we? You've got to keep your, your history. I mean, that's what history is about. That's why it gets annoying when people say we've got to change history because of things that are inappropriate 50, 100, 20 years ago, whatever. But your history is your story. It is his story. I mean, that's mm. a, a thing we talk about. But just going back to Cassiopeia a second, there's a lovely story, of course, about this famous Danish astronomer called Tycho Brahe who was one of the, the real uh, well-known pillars in astronomy back in the 17th century and he saw a supernova in Cassiopeia a star that exploded and became dramatically bright for a long long time and um, even as bright as Venus uh, even brighter and uh, he couldn't work out what it was but he made meticulous observations of this object in the constellation of Cassiopeia and now it's a radio source it's long gone but 400 years ago he was fascinated and the stars have stayed the same but this one particular object the supernova has gone and that's a tribute to the work of Tycho as he's known as and then um, people who followed him who were able to explain just exactly what it was they were looking at but he hadn't a clue but he he knew it was something special and uh, it's recorded throughout history 1572 it erupted the interesting thing is that people through, throughout the centuries, literally the centuries, have made observations. And then how people come along later and with a little bit more knowledge mm. can, can put a bit more flesh explain onto it them. and explain a bit more. Yeah. But there is still so much that we can't oh, explain. Oh, for there? every question we answer, there's a million questions come behind it. Mm. And there's so many stories, lots of stories at the moment about the Big Bang and the various um, new ideas about what causes it and what it's going to do and what it's developed as. And it's a popular subject at the moment. But it's still something that we've got to explain, and there's still, uh, it is still the most credible theory, uh, the Big Bang theory. But um, uh, there's all sorts of things going on at the moment, and I'm just watching avidly to see uh, what uh, conclusions people come to. In the meantime, back in our local skies in the weeks to come, the, the planets. Yeah, we've got two very bright planets at the moment in the sky. We had, as I said last month there when we did the July programme, we spoke about the two giant planets, Jupiter and Saturn, coming to what we call opposition, opposite from the Sun. One was on the 2nd of August, the other one was the 15th of August. And they're still dominating our southern sky. And only the other night I saw them there, very, very bright, 
one very much brighter than the other, but there are no bright stars in this part of the sky. It's the area of the sky where we've got the constellations of Capricorn and Scorpio and um, things like that. And apart from the stars, um, Antares and Scorpio, there are no bright stars anywhere near. But these two, Jupiter and Saturn, are very, very bright. And of course, it reminds us that uh, last, um, last December, they were actually so close, they were almost touching it appeared in line of sight effect. But now Jupiter is pulling away from Saturn. And this time next year, when we look at Jupiter and Saturn, you'll notice the difference between them is quite dramatic. At the moment, you can almost um, see that they're in the same field of view, almost with your eyes, your naked eye, um, about um, a hand, if you extended small finger and thumb apart, uh, it'll be twice that next year. Because Jupiter takes 12 years to go around the sun, Saturn takes 26 years. So it's moving twice as fast, so therefore the distance will, will double turning around the other way and if we go around the other way now to the western horizon venus is finally emerging from a, a very light sky you've got the bright bright venus very very bright but in a light sky and on the 9th of september just literally in about two weeks time um on the horizon you're gonna have a very bright venus and the moon up left from it and mercury the elusive little um messenger uh, of the gods uh, that's what mercury is named after um just about visible on the horizon but you'll need binoculars to find that so we can get mercury we can get venus and we can get jupiter and saturn but we can't get mars because mars is around the back of the sun at the moment Right, so that deals with the planets. Autumn sky in general. I just mentioned that because this is the time of the year when the nights are starting to draw in, as we said earlier, and we start to see the stars of autumn getting up earlier and earlier. And next month in particular, we'll talk about the Andromeda Galaxy and the Square of Pegasus and all them. But you will start to see these stars of summer, which quite frankly, there's apart from the summer triangle we've mentioned before, that's now dipping towards the west. And there's a bit of a gap then. And then we get the stars of autumn before we get the brilliant stars of winter, which will follow in about three months' time. So as you're looking out, especially towards the east and southeast, which is where most people tend to look, because that's where the stars sort of rise and, and then they, they set in the west, of course. Um, you do get this anticipation, the long dark nights of autumn and winter coming and these different um, patterns and shapes in the sky, which are, of course, the constellations. So, interesting weeks ahead. Very much so. Now, talking of interesting things, I am a huge fan of the music of Enya. Right. And saw this particular song title and I thought, it, it can't be the same song, but it's got moon in the title, so maybe Howard would be interested oh, in definitely. it. Definitely. And so the choice... This evening is mine, and it's Enya singing Everyone's Gone to the Moon. Streets full of people. i 
So there you have it, Enya's version of Everyone's Gone to the Moon. That was fantastic. I mean, it's such a great song. The Enya version, I, I really enjoyed that. And uh, thank you for finding it for us. It's a pleasure, Howard. Now, we've got lots of excitement to talk about, not least the Isle of Man's new involvement mm-hmm. in, in space exploration. But before that... I want to say a very good evening to John Cannell, who joins us from Shen Valley. And uh, John sent a little note in for a question for you, Howard. Go on. And the question is this. And John says, I wonder if you could ask Howard on the next Sky at Night programme to explain about our own solar system. I understand, writes John, that the Earth orbits the Sun once a year. It revolves on its axis once a day and it tilts on its axis to give us our seasons. The part I don't understand, says John, is that the Earth is spinning. If one was to throw a ball up in the air, how have we not moved forward in our rotation before the ball comes back down? Howard, over to you. Right. Well, there's, that's a great question. Thanks for that, John. Uh, thank you for writing in. Um, there's two parts to that question. The first bit about the um, throwing a ball up and why it doesn't move, obviously, as the Earth spins. The answer to that one is if you hit a golf ball on an aircraft, it wouldn't um, change to your local perspective, the ball will stay where you are. And there's a famous story about Tony Jackman doing a hole-in-one on Concord, and it was written the world's longest putt because the plane had travelled three miles by the time it reached the cup, but that, that wasn't allowed. But that's not the astronomical version you want. What you're asking is a question that was baffling to scientists for thousands of years. We go back to ancient Egypt and all that sort of stuff. Um, we all believe the Earth was the centre of the universe. We believe the Earth was the centre of the universe. We knew about the sun crossing the sky every day. We believe the Earth was stationary. And famously, Galileo said it moved when he had to recant to the authorities. But this was a huge stumbling block. Your question, basically, people couldn't explain. Copernicus came along with the answer that basically the Earth moves around the sun. And they didn't believe Copernicus because he believed, or they believed, uh, as you're asking, if the Earth goes around the sun, why doesn't everything get flung off it? Because we're going at such fantastic speeds, which we are as we spin our axis and go around the sun. There's thousands of miles an hour involved. So why don't, or why doesn't everything get thrown off the Earth? And the simple answer is thanks to Isaac Newton. Thanks to Isaac Newton, who discovered gravity. He discovered gravity, and gravity is far, far greater a force, the gravitational force is far greater than the centrifugal force which is what you're talking about when you throw something off the off the planet um, it's like when you swing a bucket around your head the water the water stays in the bucket if you keep the water going till you stop then the water goes all over you, that's centrifugal force, but gravitational force far exceeds by a huge factor of um, you know, to the power of 10 much much more um, and so therefore everything stays on the ground even though the earth is spinning very very fast and spinning around the sun as well and so therefore the centrifugal force is more than compensated by the huge gravitational force which was not discovered until Newton discovered it in 1681. John, thank you very much indeed for your question. Questions are always welcome. Yes, please. Love to have questions. Be, well, because Howard and I are so busy talking in the studio, we can't unfortunately take calls during the programme. But do please, you can email Howard, howardparkin please. at manx.net. We're happy to have him. And you can write into Manx Radio, PO Box 1368, Douglas IM 991SW. 
and we're very, very happy to hear from you and Howard tackles any questions. And one of the best things I like about when I do a lecture or a talk is the questions at the end, especially usually from children because children don't hold back. They ask any question. Adults tend to be a bit more reserved. Um, but I love doing the questions. And if I don't know, I'll taste so and I'll find out the answer. But that was a great question, John. Thank you very much for sending it in. So star questions, space questions, bring, bring them all on. Now, moving swiftly on, SpaceX on the Isle of Man. Yeah, unbelievable. But this is an absolutely true story. This is actually, if you look it up on the internet, it's, it was rumoured to be happening, but I understand it is definitely happening. Elon Musk, who runs SpaceX, who launches these spacecraft up to the International Space Station, these huge rockets out of Hawthorne in America, um, has launched these series of satellites. I think we may have touched on it once or twice in the past about these chain of these Starlink satellites going across the sky. Well, Elon Musk had this dream, this vision of providing cheap Internet access for everybody on the planet. And he's doing that by orbiting these hundreds and hundreds of these satellites. He's orbiting 60 and 70 at a time. You watch the video of this spacecraft launching them. One spacecraft launches them, and they're literally they're popping out like um, seeds from a pod. You know, one goes, and then 10 seconds later, another one goes, and they track across the sky until such time as they get to that orbital position. That's the science. That's the that's the um, the hardware that's being dealt with. But once he got about, I think it was seven hundred and fifty satellites in orbit. He's now ready to start looking to put the uh, communication system in place to provide this internet access to the population at large. Internet access in Britain and the Isle of Man is great. You go out to sea on a cruise ship, there is no internet access, and that's one of the biggest problems of the uh, communications industry. Communicating with far-flung places which are away from any um, ground satellite stations. Anyway, what's going to happen is he's, he's took a decision, Elon Musk. I understand he's been on the island negotiating to get these done. It was very hush-hush. He flew in his private jet and he went straight out again. And I understand he's been here at least three times, but that's uh, not reported, so maybe he was in a disguise, I don't know. But what he's doing, he's building an earth station. He's building an earth station about a couple hundred yards from us, Judith, at Carnane where satellites um, dishes were for SES, who have now left the island. Uh, that facility has been um, leased, I understand. Um, to I think it's Blue Wave Communications have got the lease for the, the ground site. SpaceX have entered into a, an agreement for them to use the, that site for various dishes and various communications equipment. And they're building three of these, one in the Isle of Man, one in Cornwall and one in Buckingham. Now, if you look at your geography and draw a line between those three, they're roughly equidistant from each other. You've got a wonderful triangle there. They're all going to be linked together in what we call an interferometer, and the interferometer gives them a long baseline for taking the signals and they're getting the strength of the signals high enough, and that will give them the ability to provide internet access to people not just in the Isle of Man, but throughout the British Isles and, and Northern Europe, I understand. And that's what they're doing. And the Isle of Man are having a huge part of this project. And it will bring revenue to the island because, of course, every um, satellite or any business that sets up in the island will give us some sum of funding. And uh, it links very closely to um, Mansat and Chris Stott and the work they've been doing. This is a huge extension of that, if you like. And it's just a fantastic story, one that I wasn't aware of until... Whisper got out about it, then I found out about it, looked into it. And um, it's amazing to think that the island space industry, which was very buoyant in the early 2000s, um, okay, we've, we've not done a, a huge amount lately, but building on the fact that the island has been so positive about space industries, Elon Musk, one of the richest blokes in the world, chose the Isle of Man for his satellite earth station. And um, 
I don't know when they're going to start building it, but I understand it's not far off because he wants to start getting some revenue in. And the figure of £20 a year for internet access was, was bandied round, which is an incredible figure when you think what we all pay for our internet access at the moment. So uh, watch this space, literally. Well, we keep saying it. It's becoming the watchword for this programme, mm, isn't it, Howard? And, it is. But it, it is amazing. And I suppose it's inevitable that these developments would come that because we are so internet dependent now, aren't we? Absolutely. We go we go online for every little thing to look up a phone oh, yeah. number. We'll, oh, yeah. we'll go and look it up online more, more quickly than we would go to the phone book. Absolutely. All this kind of thing. So it's inevitable but very exciting that the well, island would, would be part of major it. part in one of the, one of the big space ventures in the um in, in this this decade yeah and it's it's got to focus attention on the island which well, absolutely could, in a very positive way in a very positive way which can only be good so we see what comes mm. of that so excalibur almaz well, this is another great Manx story. I mean, we have all these stories that come up every month for the two big Manx stories in the space of a month. Perhaps not quite as big as the SpaceX story, but this is the story about the Excalibur Almaz project, which was set up on the island some years ago now. And that was one of the things that led to the boast that we were the fifth most likely nation to return to the moon. That's because Excalibur Almaz were planning to orbit people around the moon and back. And there was also a spacecraft going to the moon as part of the Google X Prize. Both of those sadly... Uh, faded, uh, although there is some work still going on in the Google X Prize, not for the prize because that's now being cancelled, but there are still private companies working on sending spacecraft to the moon. But the Excalibur Almaz is still a very much got a presence on the island. What happened was Art Dula was the name of the gentleman concerned. He had this vision of sending people into space using space proven hardware, the Almaz capsules and going to an orbiting space station. And this was a very credible idea. I mean, this was in the time when Virgin Galactic were planning their space planes. Jeff Bezos was planning his Blue Origins and indeed uh, SpaceX with their missions. So this idea was very credible and a very real possibility. Um, but the funding was never fully available for it. I understand the, the industry didn't want to travel in uh, used spacecraft, should we say. They wanted shiny new spacecraft. I mean, you've got a choice of a few hours uh, maybe in a Virgin Galactic plane or days in orbit in an Excalibur capsule, which I would rather do. But anyway, to cut a long story short, they bought two of their space stations to the island and three of the space capsules that would launch the people. And they would ultimately launch these and refurbish them and launch them not from the island, but they would take them away and do them. One of the space stations went away and the publicity for that said that's it, end of the space race for the Isle of Man. But it wasn't. The other ones has been on the island now for many, many years, sitting in storage down at Balthane. Well, earlier this month, that space station was moved up to the Motor Museum in Jerby. It was on the 12th of August, I understand, and uh, it was a wide load and apologies when we got stuck behind it. But the whole... Uh, space station is now up at Jerby for display up there, along with one of the capsules. And uh, you can go and see that for yourself if you go to the Jerby Motor Museum. And I understand that um, the capsule, sorry, not the capsule, the space station, uh, is of the similar, a similar design to the brand new Nukua module that just went up to the space station by the Russians only about three weeks ago. It actually caused a problem because it actually um, fired a thruster when it shouldn't and caused all sorts of problems with the ISS. But it's the same design, I understand, as the one we've got here in Jerby. And who knows where it might lead to. But uh, again, two major stories um, emerging in the matter of weeks. And uh, we're looking for international stories and they're here on our doorsteps. 
I'm thinking that we need to do some outside broadcasting, really, Howard. And I, I think, think so. Don't you think we need to get ourselves up to Jerby? I mean, how good would it be to do this programme? Uh, why not? Why not arrange that? Why should I go have a word with them at the Jerby Museum and say, we'll do the show live from there? And and just, just wander Invite, around and, oh, and absolutely. you could explain to us what we were looking at. Absolutely. And... I mean, it's, it's just amazing when you think that hardware like that is on our island. And okay, it's probably not going to go into space now. That's why it's been put in the museum. But the technology to build it is still being used to add a new module onto the International Space Station. And I think the just to be around something like that and imagine getting into it and going off oh, into yes. space would be really exciting. And I think it's a great idea. I think it's going to be very, very I think popular. We should do a, even if we do a one-off, um, maybe a special, just a, the Ironman Space Industry. From oh, we're full, of we're full of ideas here, we are, aren't we, aren't we, Howard? We, <laughs> we are. <laughs> Meanwhile, back on the ground... <laughs> Mars, how are they getting on in Mars? Interesting story about Mars. And they landed the Perseverance rover with its little helicopter ingenuity on Mars back in February time. And this little helicopter, which is only built to prove the technology that you could fly a helicopter on Mars, it was meant to do three flights. It was meant to last about three months. It's just on its 10th flight, and they're getting more and more ambitious with it now. It's just like a small drone. It's a little... But the, somebody's remotely driving it or flying it um, from the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena in California, and it's just incredible. They've now done 10 flights of it, and they, there's fantastic videos on the internet, but there's a negative to it because Perseverance is collecting some samples or going to start collecting samples of Mars rock, which another rover will go and collect in probably about 10 years' time. So it dug its first sample the other day. You imagine this scene on Mars there, them digging this hole on Mars, filling this tube with Mars soil, and when they checked it, there was nothing in the sample tube. Um, something had gone wrong with the sampling mechanism. And imagine they'd retrieved it and brought it all the way back to Earth and they opened it and found nothing in it. Um, so that's a little glitch on Mars at the moment, but um, I'm sure they'll solve that one before they go much further. But it's just incredible. I think I said this last month about Mars. The only other planet in the solar system that's inhabited Mars has got six robots on the surface. Judah, I must just tell you, I just had a birthday a few weeks ago. I had a wonderful birthday cake uh, made for me by a lady called Sylvia Evans of Benonkin. Fantastic birthday cake. And it was an astronaut sitting on the moon. And there at the bottom was a little green alien. Now, look, before we run out of time, there is something that we've got to talk about. And you might be too modest to mention this. But I know that coming along very shortly, the publication of your first book. Yes, it is something I've been wanting to do for years. I had this dream of writing a book on astronomy for some years and uh, this became one of my lockdown projects. Finally finished writing it in about February and I'm delighted to say it's coming out about the 15th of September. Best description of it is the subtitle. It's an astronomical miscellany from the Isle of Man. It's all the stories I've tell people about all the anecdotes all the things we can see in the Manx night sky the space industry from the Isle of Man a lot of the stuff we talk about on the show so the title of the book is Space for Dark Skies and it'll be available in all good bookshops and on the internet and uh, through me personally or whatever and one of the nicest compliments I had by one of my proofreaders was he says your book reads like your lectures sound I hope people will enjoy it full of lots of illustrations lovely dark sky pictures and hopefully lots of interesting stories Howard, as always, we've been beaten by the clock. Thank again. you so much for joining us again this month. We look forward to you welcoming you back into the studio. We'll be on the 26th of September. I've just looked it up, so a few days after the autumn equinox. So we'll talk about that then. Howard Parkin, Faster My, very good evening to you. Faster My, Judith, thank you very much indeed. Manx Radio.